Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Shroom Live podcast. It's good to be back this week. We're going back to the level one angler series. As you guys know, if you've been following along, I think this is number nine now. This series is aimed towards those anglers who have started fishing with soft plastics and maybe they haven't had the success that they've wanted in terms of catching that one species which is brim maybe they've caught a few flatties few tailor few leatheries and a few other things along the way but they know that the areas that they're fishing have an abundance of brim which should be most of sydney if not most areas in australia now it's also geared towards those people who just want to brush up on their skills maybe they've used soft plastics before maybe decades ago even and they just want to get up to date with what's effective at this time and age okay now firstly i'd like to thank everyone for sending all their support and all the questions that i've been receiving so far it helps it's helped me to prolong this series and answer all your questions and of course even before this series started i was consistently getting a lot of messages in my dm box and so this is just a great way to explain to a lot of people at once rather than one person in a message now on today's menu we've got a couple of things and the first question that i want to address is a comment that i received a while back which said when i got my first rod it came with some soft plastics and i thought oh wow awesome i'll open all these up and put them in the tackle box so it's all organized end quote now you can imagine what i would have said after that so i'm going to talk about a few things relating to this situation here and that's when you go to the shop and you want to get a combo and it comes with maybe maybe a box i'd say it's like a planet plano box and it's got a bunch of hard bodies and a bunch of soft plastics which is you know kind of what i'm looking at here so i'll address both those things but you get a bunch of plastics of various sizes shapes colors and obviously when you buy a kit it's rather cheap and it's all put together and away you go now first of all there's a few things wrong with this situation here now the first situation is that when you're getting all these soft plastics generally they can be effective but they can be on the lower quality end of the spectrum and even if they're not they may not be right for the job especially if you want to target various species so the way that these kits are put together it's to give every angler a chance to catch something in the area by basically having a shotgun approach so you have a lot of large lures a lot of colorful lures none quite right for the job for brim or even flathead for example but they have a chance to catch that species and so if you're trying to refine and improve your techniques and improve your skill in targeting you know your specific target species then you've just made it a lot harder so that's one big problem with all these soft plastics and that's considering that the kit has quality soft plastic so i'm not talking about pl soft plastics that you know you get on ebay which could come in a kit which is you know a different kettle of fish which i'm just going to quickly address right after this so even these plastics which can be reputable they're just not right for the job you don't get to choose the sizing the color 
and it may not be the best fit for your species and your area. So I'll give you some examples. So my first kit, I think, came with a tackle box. And in that tackle box, you get swivels, you get sinkers, you get a bunch of hooks, and you get soft plastics, soft plastic grubs to be specific. Now, at the time when I started using those grubs, none of them actually swam. So with the provided hooks, and I don't even know whether this kit had jig heads, but it was just, you know, you get you buy a rod with a reel and it comes with a little carry tackle box. You guys know exactly what I'm talking about. Those kits which have, you know, 101 things in one. None of those plastics worked. So I basically just wasted all my time using a kit like that. Now the rod and the reel were usable. I'm pretty sure I got it off, you know, just Kmart or Big W or somewhere like that. It was just a cheap kit, but yeah, those soft plastics... They never worked for me. I passed it around to some friends as well. You know, back in the day, people weren't using soft plastics regularly. In fact, yeah, I would say that 99% anglers on the river that I saw were using bait. So, hey, just pass it to some friends, see if we'd have some luck on a few sessions and they never worked. And, you know, you wouldn't understand why at that stage in in my angling, you know, skill level and development. But, you know, for someone out there, I can fully understand them going through the same process. And that was just time invested into something that I could have learned very quickly. Now, these days, if you go to a, a proper place, you know, you go to a, a big chain such as BCF, Anaconda or your independence, you may still find kits like that, but you're more likely to find kits from reputable brands with reputable lures. And they're obviously more likely to work. They're most likely to have action in the soft plastics. The hard bodies are more likely to dive. They're more likely to have hooks that are going to hold up. And, you know, with a bit of skill, you could catch some fish. But the problem is you're going to need a lot more skill to compensate for the lower quality of lure in general. So you're just making it hard for yourself, really. So I still recommend to stay clear of these kits that have all these soft plastics in them it seems like a good idea at the time most of them would probably make it harder for you to achieve your goals now the other part of this question here talked about opening them all up and putting them in the tackle box so that it's all organized these days a lot of the soft plastics especially from brands that aren't the same they're not likely to be able to sit together without deforming So a lot of the material, which is plastic, I think it's the plasticizer or, and even if it's not, you just basically have to understand that if it's a different brand, you're going to get the plastics basically congealing and becoming a huge mass of some gooey substance. And it looks like it basically just melts in front of you if you put them together for an extended period of time. So that's one reason that I like to just keep the plastics in the packets that they come from. So this is a common problem, especially with the really soft, stretchy and durable plastics. I can come up with, you know, the one that you guys are all thinking about right now, and that's the Z-Man material, the Elastec. So for all its advantages, they don't mix, you know, you can't put them together with other brands. And in fact, you can't even put them together with similar plastics from the same brand 
because the colors themselves will mix. But I guess that's a different story there too because mixing colors can be one way to just play around and have fun with the lures themselves. So if you like two colors and you want to come up with an intermediate color, put them together, they will do funny things and mix. Uh, but yeah, certainly don't put, say, Z-Mans with your squidgies or, you know, your squidgies with your uh, Samaki boom baits and Daiwa bait junkies and Berkeley gulps. All that put together just doesn't work, doesn't work well. Now, obviously, you shouldn't be putting Berkeley, Berkeley gulps outside of the liquid themselves, but let's say, let's change that to, say, Berkeley power baits. So you don't want to put Berkeley power baits with, say, Shimano squidgy biotuffs. That's just going to end up in a big mess and cost you a lot of money. So it's a very expensive lesson. Now also, these plastics do melt in temperatures, in high temperatures as well. So try to keep them in a cool place. If you keep them in your bag, I find that that can overheat on really hot days. So just keep an eye on that. But especially if those packets are kept within a sealed plastic container. I've had, a, I've had some pretty close calls and some slightly melted plastics by leaving them in a plastic container with a lid. So I just crack the lid open sometimes just to give it some ventilation. But yeah, only on the very hottest of days. I mean, in Sydney, it does get extremely hot in the summer months. So yeah, hopefully that answers the first question about getting soft plastics that come with your rod, come with a kit, you know, what to do with them, how should you treat them, uh, what are, what's the purpose and what you can see, you know, in terms of how it can be used for yourself. I would say in general, you know, be mindful of what I've just said. It's best to just go out there and buy some packs of plastics of a particular color, size and shape that you want. All right. Now, this next question is relating to a comment which contained this part of the sentence which said and do you suggest a double uni knot as i saw in one of your videos the answer to that question is yes i wouldn't show that in a video specifically if i didn't believe in the knot now i'm going to go through this knot and the reasons why i do suggest and recommend this knot as a leader to leader connection now first of all that's also mention the fact that I'm currently not using the double uni knot as my main leader to leader connection. That belongs to the FG knot. So in most of my videos, if I get time to tie a leader to leader connection, I'm using the FG knot. But I do recommend and I have suggested for beginners to get into the uni knot for a start or specifically the double uni knot. So the uni knot is the terminal version the double uni knot is basically tying two back to back, one of them inverted so that you have a leader to line, leader to braid connection, so to speak. Now, the reason why I recommend this knot is because it is strong enough for your purposes. We are talking about inshore fishing using light lines. The double uni knot does hold extremely well. And I have found that it is one of the more reliable line-to-line -line connections that I've used in the past. So those two factors and one additional factor being that the double uni knot is, in my opinion, one of the easiest knots to learn. 
for two reasons. First of all, it's symmetrical. So if you've learnt one side of the uni knot, then you know the other side. So conceptually, it's easy to remember. Uh, another reason, it's hard, it's hard to forget how to tie this knot once you've learnt it. It's, it's one of those knots where I find that even if I haven't tied it for a long time, I'm not likely to forget it. For example, some other knots such as the Slim Beauty, sometimes I can kind of get into a situation where, now how did I do that figure eight and, you know, this and that, put it through which hole. I mean, those things come as you don't use the knot frequently and so they can be lost in your arsenal, especially if you're out on the field. Things that are complicated can be hard to tie. Uh, double uni knot, not so much. And another reason why this is the case is because I like to use a terminal uni knot. And so learning to tie the terminal means that it's easy to transition to a double uni knot. So for a beginner, someone that just wants to get good at tying knots and tie knots quickly and effectively, the double uni knot is a highly recommended leader to, uh, leader to braid connection for myself. So let's go through it again. So it's strong enough. It's reliable enough. It's easy to tie. It's hard to forget. And you're tying it already with a terminal. So when you learn that terminal knot, you're learning the double uni at the same time, if that makes sense. The, the way to tie the knot is exactly the same, but done twice with one inverted. Okay, now another reason why that, look, I, I kind of don't want to put people off moving to the FG knot. So when the time is right, obviously go and find stronger knots and find knots that you're more likely to remember and tie because they're stronger or they're more slimmer. For example, the FG knot is a, it's, it's a top echelon knot for various reasons. So first of all, it's strong. Now, like I, I haven't tested these knots myself, but if you just go do a quick search, do a bit of research, you're going to find that there are some knots which are rated at 100% of the line strength. So what I'm trying to say here is that the FG knot technically shouldn't weaken the line or shouldn't be a connection that causes a weakness in your system. It is as strong as the braid and the leader that you're tying it to. It doesn't weaken at any part. Now, for any other knot, that's not 100% knot, obviously, but let's say, you know, the double uni or maybe even the Slim Beauty and Albright, Alberto, Surgeon's knot, um, you know, just keep them coming. So whatever knot that you're thinking of that is not like a PR slash FG slash GT style knot, or maybe even like a Bimini of some sort with an Albright, you know, those kinds of crazy, you know, offshore fishing, game fishing knots, just, you know, you're just tying your inshore knot, you're going to find that these knots generally will be rated under 100%. So you're always going to lose a bit of line strength, a bit of, you know, connection strength when you tie these knots, but that's not to say that they're not any good. So you can easily just make up for this fact by increasing your leader strength or your braid strength instead of tying a complicated knot. So the FG is complicated for various reasons. First of all, it's not easy to tie without a tool because you need to apply tension. So 
Most of the knots that we're talking about here, you don't have to tie under tension. The double uni knot, the Albright, the Slim Beauty, and you can probably name a lot of other knots. They don't need tension to tie, which greatly lowers their difficulty. Number two, the time it takes to tie the FG or a similar knot. So the FG for most people will take a lot longer to tie than an Albright, which is probably one of the quickest knots that I can think of. And a double uni is a lot quicker as well, in my opinion, to most people. The FG, you have to have a lot of practice to tie quickly and it's never quick in the overall scheme of things. It's still going to take literally a whole minute to tie this knot. And let's say one more thing that I'd like to say about some of these knots like the FG, is that tied in correctly, it can still feel strong and hold, but over repetitive casts, it will weaken and it will slip. So it took me a long time to figure out what was happening when I was tying FGs and I was getting cast offs, for example, in the early days. Uh, you're not likely going to have that problem with an FG Sorry, with a double uni knot, for example, especially for a beginner. So it's less finicky, it's faster, it does the job. And so, hey, it's, it's okay. I recommend a knot for the moment. But like I said, if you want to move on eventually, you can look into the FG knot, but that by no means automatically means that the double uni is a knot with no purpose. All right, one last thing that I'd like to talk about real quickly is... What is a wind knot? A wind knot is what I'll describe as as a situation which we don't want to get into when you're fishing, generally when you're casting and there's a little bit of wind in the area and as you're just going through the normal actions of working a lure, fishing, casting, retrieving and then suddenly you get a bunch of line that's just tangled up on your line somewhere. So that is considered a wind knot because wind seems to exacerbate that issue. It's not the only reason why that can happen. It can just simply be through poor line management. Just the actions that you did prior to winding can cause that issue to become more prominent. But wind, what it does is it just seems to create tension on the line at times and then relax tension. And because of this tension and lack of tension that's alternating and changing direction with the wind, you're creating a lot of slack in the system when you're winding and when you're hopping the lure. And that allows the braid to wrap around itself and form these ridiculous knots at times. So how can it form? So it can form on the cast. Sometimes the speed of the line going through the guides with a bit of slack, a bit of poor line management, it just seems to tangle around the guides and then once it started to form, those loops in midair, it just comes out through the guides and before you know it, you see that there's a bit of a bird nest happening out in front of you. So that's kind of what happens. Now, some braids are more prone to this sort of issue. Those braids which are smooth, thin and wispy and get picked up by the wind seem to have this problem more so than the rough braids. So 
that should just give you some food for thought. You might find certain braids have a greater tendency to win knot than others. And that's, uh, if you have, if you've had that thought before, well, there's good reasons to believe that. I find some braids, especially the smooth ones, the ones that are really thin, they can be easily contorted by the wind and these loops form just a little bit quicker and easier. And also smooth braids seem to travel extremely quickly through the guides, faster than a rough braid. And that seems to cause on some casts, just the angle of the line going through it, a bit of a bunching up of braid and suddenly you've got this snap back and a bit of a bird nest forming these wind knots, so to speak. So how can you prevent this issue? Well, it happens to the best of us. It still happens to myself and I, I reckon everyone else that's been fishing for a long time, but you can take steps to minimize it. So as a beginner, line control and tension is a big deal. So be mindful of when you're winding the lure that first of all, you're not winding on, you're not winding below the spool and underneath the spool that can cause an issue on the cast. There's a bit of loose line, but of course you've got that issue of tangling the spool itself. So maybe grab it, grab the line with your fingers and keep that taut while you're winding in, especially if the line's loose. Second of all, make sure that when you're casting, that once you've completed the cast and let the lure hit the water, you can grab your hand, your opposite hand, and just dampen the line speed. And so that there's no over, over spooling, over, over casting. So extra line just leaving the spool for no reason. Because what you're going to do then is you're probably going to just turn the handle and wind that back in. And that's another source of loose line. And number three, this is probably the most annoying one. On extremely windy days, even if you have a good technique and you're doing the hops, sometimes you have to slow it down after hopping it on the descent of your rod tip to the water. Just because the line just seems to create extra slack due to the wind, it's just hovering in midair that fraction of a second longer. And yeah, you just have to be extremely mindful of that. That is probably a higher level, higher order skill to notice that kind of thing happening. But that is probably one of the most annoying things, especially if you fish at night and you can't tell and you've, you know you have a decent technique and wind knots just don't seem to come into your system often. That's one thing that does get me periodically. So on a windy day, especially if you have some crosswinds, make sure that when you're hopping the lure and you bring the lure, bring the rod back down as you wind down that you maybe have a fraction of a second longer on lowering that rod because that is really <laughs> it's really frustrating when that's happening because even with the perfect technique that can still cause a wind knot now i just want to quickly mention that this is different to a backlash on a bait cast reel so obviously this series isn't quite talking about bait casters and bait cast gear in general because that's not what we use for brim fishing in most situations but when you have a backlash, you're casting into the wind. So let's just relate this to spin gear. So when you're casting into a strong, stiff headwind, you're going to create that problem with the wind knot situation. It's a little bit better with the wind behind you. And it's certainly a problem with the wind along the side of you doing a crosswind style blowing. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to wrap up this episode of the Shroom Live podcast for the Level 1 Angler Series. And let me tell you, keep your questions coming. I'm loving it, especially if you're loving this series. 
give me more ammo, give me more things to talk about. It can be a very long personalized question like the previous episode about, you know, that gentleman fishing along the George's River on a wharf in front of his property and he's been catching whiting and brim and this is the situation that he's in and the watercolor being brown, etc, etc. I think that would make a really good podcast if I do some questions like that as well. But folks, for now, this is Shroom signing out.